Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would be with us and strengthen our faith and our knowledge of you through your word and make that, um, make it strengthen us and, and our hope, our faith, our perseverance, our godliness. Please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is our 10th uh, week of studying God's covenants. And remember that a divine covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. We're going to see that a lot today. Um, so it's a bond, it's an agreement, it's a, it's a commitment that comes down with God's covenants, obviously, from God, according to his will, not our bargaining, and it's a bond in blood. There's always life and death at stake with God's covenants. And we've worked our way up now to God's covenant with Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant is the clearest expression of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament. So remember this illustration I put up uh, at the beginning, and there's better ways to do this, and I wanted to make a better one, but didn't have time this week, but just thinking about the structure of these covenants and how they're related to each other. We've talked about all of these, and the covenant of grace starts after Adam's fall, his breaking of the covenant of works, and all of these are expressions. God's covenant with Noah, Abraham, we're gonna see with Israel under Moses, David, and the new covenant, all of those are just applications of or administrations of this one covenant that began right after the fall, the covenant of grace. So if, you are, if, you have, uh, if you're colorblind, sorry. Can you see the differences in the colors here? Everybody, sort of, mainly, hopefully. So we're talking about all of this. The Abrahamic covenant is the clearest expression of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament, all right? And all of these others are historical expressions or administrations of the covenant of grace. We call these the historical covenants. These are, these are covenants that God made with particular people or groups of people in history, in the real world, enacted by God at particular times with particular people, and these are administrations or applications of the covenant of grace. And they were all necessary steps, right? Each one of these is a necessary step in the historical process of bringing this promise into reality in the world, right? Remember this is the God's great promise from Genesis 3.15 that is the first promise of the covenant of what we call the covenant of grace. Remember God says to Satan, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That fatal wound that the, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent is the first promise of the covenant of grace. And we saw that in God's covenant with Noah, God promised to preserve the world so that the seed of the woman would come. How can the seed of the woman come if, if mankind is gone? Well, right, the covenant of Noah preserves the seed of the woman until, the, until Christ can come. 
And here in God's covenant with Abraham, God focuses on one man, one family line that will be God's peculiar people, a people for his own possession, a people from whom the Savior would come who would crush the serpent's head, undo the curse of Adam, and save his people from their sins. Last week we saw the historical and religious backdrop for God's covenant with Abram or Abraham. So after the flood, the nations began to develop as distinct family groups. You see that in Genesis 10. But they, like their, fa- like their father Adam, rejected God's commandments and tried their best to live apart from God. And that rebellion moved them to not fill the earth and subdue it as God had commanded. Remember this from Genesis 11? And instead to stay in one place to build a city and a tower that would solidify their rebellion against God. And the tower was the visible expression of their rebellion against the true and living God. They were building a man-made temple mountain where they could commune with the gods. These rebellious angelic creatures who had followed the serpent in his hatred of Yahweh, the true God. And so as we saw last week, the Lord came down and judged the nations by confusing their speech, forcing them to scatter across the face of the earth, whether they wanted to or not. Now they have no choice, God scatters them. And as we read in Deuteronomy 32 last week, the Lord also, when he did that, when he scattered the nations, he assigned gods to the nations, not make-believe fairy tale gods, but creatures, powerful beings that he had made to rule over them because they deserved each other, right? The gods of the nations were harsh, bloodthirsty taskmasters who utterly failed to rule justly because they're rebels against the true and living God. This is what the nations deserved. They did not want the true and living God, Yahweh, the creator of the universe to rule over them. They rejected Yahweh as their king. And so he gave them over to, the, to their lusts, let them reap the bitter fruit of worshiping creatures rather than the creator, scattered them. So now what? Now what? How will God bring about his eternal plan to have a people for himself who will live in joyful obedience to him? How will the earth be filled and subdued under his rule and blessing? How is this going to happen now? The nations are scattered. They worship their gods. If all of the nations are given over to their idolatrous desires, God will do what God does. What does God do? He creates things, right? So if all the nations are gone, he'll create a new one. That's what's going on with Abraham. He's gonna make a new nation. And since this is after all the covenant of grace, right? God does that as an act of pure, unmerited favor by choosing a childless pagan nomad named Abram. That's who who this man is. He's gonna make a new nation out of a childless pagan nomad. That doesn't make any sense. He doesn't have descendants. He's not a worshiper of God yet. We'll see that in a minute. And he's a nomad, he doesn't have a place. How do you get a nation out of that? Well, by grace, that's how. 
We first hear of Abraham, or Abram, as he's called, at the end of Genesis 11. After the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, we have the history of Shem's descendants. Remember Shem? Shem is one of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We get the word Semitic, right? Semite, from Shem. So that's kind of the, the family tree that descendants of Shem are called Semites. It's not just the Jews. A- Abram, we find out in Genesis 11 at the end, is Noah's great, 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 great grandson. <laughs> Eight greats. Yeah. All right. If you look at the, uh, the, the numbers of the genealogies, the, age, the, the, the um, years, the lifespan, um, Shem is alive for 35 years after Abram is born. Yeah. We don't know if they knew each other, but maybe they were related. Okay? It's just amazing. And so we come to Genesis 11. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. All right, that's kind of fuzzy, sorry, but here's Ur. All right, so this is modern day Iraq, right? Um, Babylon. These are all very much close to each other. This is Mesopotamia, Tigris and Euphrates rivers. So they, they move from Ur to Haran. Canaan is down here. So they get this far and then they stop, right? Okay. And then... After all this nations and Genesis 10 and, and genealogy leading up to Abram, lots and lots of time, generations and generations summed up in just a few verses, right? Then the action slows down and the attention settles on Abram. And there are three chapters that lay out for us that contain different elements of God's covenant with Abraham. Chapter 12 is like initial promises. Chapter 15 is the covenant ceremony that seals all of it. And chapter 17 is the covenant sign. And so in chapter 12, the Lord comes to Abram and makes promises to him. These are the initial promises of this covenant with Abraham, or Abram. I'm gonna call him Abraham and Abram and it's, sorry. We think of Abraham, but he's called Abram here. Now the Lord said to Abram, when he's living in Haran, or Haran, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth, earth will be blessed. And so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired at Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oaks of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You see this? He called upon the name of the Lord. Um, in, in Genesis, that's, that's the, the term that's used for, for people when they start worshiping the true God. That's why I think Abram wasn't really a true God worshiper before. I mean, God starts appearing to him and telling him what to do and he starts doing it. But you see this, this is here for a reason. There he built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord, okay? Now, you see these initial promises in chapter 12, these initial promises of God's covenant with Abram, Abraham, Abram. Blessing, people, and place, right? I will bless you, I will give you many descendants, and I will give you this land. Blessing, people, and place. Notice something very interesting that'll be important in just a minute from what we just read in Genesis 12. It says there at the end of the passage, now the Canaanite was then in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, and so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Do you see that? The, the Lord did not just speak. It wasn't a voice that came to Abram. It was a person. Who, who appeared to him, not just speaking with a voice from the clouds or something, but a person appears to him. That's what it says, and then speaks. Hang on to that. Now, a lot happens after this initial appearance where the Lord first appears to Abram. There's a whole lot of stuff between chapters 12 and 15, all kinds of adventures and amazing things that we're not gonna talk about. Uh, but. In chapter 15, the Lord formally enters into his covenant with Abram with a covenant ceremony. So let's look at this. 15, starting in verse one. After these things, a lot of things happened. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Now notice a couple things real quick here. Again, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a what? In a vision. Not just in a sound, but in a vision. The word of the Lord comes in a vision. How does that work? Yeah, we'll see. Not uh, we'll talk about that more in a second. Notice also, what is Abraham, Abram saying here? Oh Lord, what will you give me? 
I'm childless, the heir of my house is Eliezer, since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house. This is just normal, common practice at that time in that place. If you don't have an heir, you can designate an heir from, from someone who's in your household, and your household is much bigger than your descendants, especially if you don't have any descendants, right? It's one of your servants. It's someone who's, who's served you well can become the heir. So Abram is not just like making this up. This, is, this would have been normal. He's thinking, is this what you mean? You mean this, right? God, right? That's what you mean, right? My heir will be someone, I mean, I can't have children, so that's what you mean? And keep reading. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Now notice again, the word of the Lord came to him saying, and then what, hap- what does the word of the Lord do? He talks to him, then what does he do? He takes him outside. You know, come here, come here, come on, look. That's what's happening. This isn't just a voice. This is a person. The word of the Lord came to him, and this person literally took him outside. Keep going. And he said, Abram said, oh, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Now, don't be too harsh. Look what it says, remember? Abram believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness and then he says, how will I know? I believe, help my unbelief, right? And so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other but he did not cut the birds, and the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Again, just in passing, let me note, the word of the Lord says, bring me. Then he brought them to him. So this is a person in a place that Abram can go and get stuff and bring them to him, right? Keep going. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. What's he talking about? Egypt. Egypt was not an accident. Egypt was not a a goof. This is exactly what God said would happen, right? But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces, the animal pieces, right? Right? 
And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite, and the Kadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim and the Amorite, and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. Now, there are all kinds of amazing things to see here, all right? So first, as I've pointed out to you, Abram encounters in all of this a divine person, a divine person. This divine person is called the word of the Lord who came to him. He's called simply the Lord and the Lord and the Lord God. And when it's all in caps like this in the versions that we use in the New American Standard, that means Yahweh. That's the, the covenant name of God, right? So the word of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, this is Adonai Yahweh. That's what this person is called. This is God, clearly, okay? This is actually the son of God. This is the one whom God the Father will send into the world at just the right time to accomplish redemption for his people. This is an appearance of Jesus Christ before he took on flesh in Mary's womb. That's who Abram is talking to here. Now this is my... It's not weird at all. She said it's weird. It's not weird. Jesus is God. Remember what it says in in John. I think it's in John. No one has seen the Lord at any time, but Jesus, the only begotten, the Son of God, you know, has made him known. That's, That's not just true in the New Testament. The one who always comes and makes God known is him. It's Jesus. It's the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus. Oh yeah, before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah. Theologians call this a theophany, right? Any appearance of God before, apart from the incarnation of Christ, when Christ came and took on flesh, this is called a theophany, okay? This divine person, the word of the Lord, shows up all through the Old Testament. Once you start, once you kind of click the the focus in, you know what I'm saying? adjust the lens just a little bit so you can actually see it. He's everywhere, everywhere, all the time. He's called by all kinds of things. The angel of the Lord is simply the angel or the angel of his presence and other names, the captain of the Lord's army. You see this in in Joshua. I mean, he's everywhere. Jesus doesn't just kind of appear in um, Matthew, all right? He is the one who has been with God's people from the beginning. And if you see that, it actually makes all kinds of things come alive. This is why, remember what he's called at the beginning of our our passage today? The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So we got something visible here, not just audible. That's what this means. This is where John gets this from John 1. The In the beginning was the word. That's the background for this, for John 1.1. This is a person that is all through the Old Testament. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. So he's somehow distinct, and yet the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All right, That's that's who's talking to Abram. 
Jesus is talking to Abram. Now, if you think that it's kind of weird to call him Jesus, uh, his brother Jude calls him Jesus in Jude. Um, I don't have this up here. And some translations do this differently because there's a manuscript thing, but the ESV gets it right. Um, Jude, let, let me think. I have it in my brain somewhere. Uh, some, uh, how's it go? Hmm? I think it's verse five. There you go. Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Who? Jesus saved the people in the Exodus, and Jesus subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Yeah, and it's Jesus. Who else would it be? Thank you, Jody. Okay. Also, First Corinthians 10. Yeah. The rock was Christ. Yep. You all familiar with that passage? The rock which followed them was Christ. Christ is with them. This is, he's leading them. All right. That's a whole thing. We could talk about that for a very long time. We can't. But I want you to see it here because it's going to be very important in just a minute. All right. What's that? 10, I can't remember the verse. You'll, you'll see it. It's in there. All right. So Abraham encounters a divine person. That's, that's the first important thing to see. Then the Lord makes promises to Abram. The same promises he made to him in chapter 12, right? Blessing, people, place. You see the blessing in Genesis 15. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Echoing what he had said back in chapter 12. Right, I will bless you, make your name great, you'll be a blessing, I'll bless those who bless you, the one who curses you I will curse, and you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So blessing, people, he took him outside and said, look up at the stars, look toward the heavens, count the stars if you're able to count them. Now can you imagine, how many stars, have you ever been in the desert? At night where there's no lights. Well, there are no lights, let me tell you. There aren't any lights. You know, think about what he saw when he looked to the heavens. Much more than we see when we look to the heavens today. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be, and place. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And these are the same promises from chapter 12. We see all of these summarized again, we'll see, in chapter 17, along with another promise, God's promise to be with Abraham and his descendants as their God. So all of these are summed up in chapter 17, but this is added, presence. So I will establish my covenant between me, me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I'll give you the land, give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I'll give you, I'll bless you, I'll give you, make you a great nation, I'll give you this land, and I will be your God. Now these, by the way, these four elements are always present in the covenant of grace. 
wherever it is, however it's expressed, it's the same thing. And we'll see that more as we go forward. All right, third. There's a covenant ceremony in chapter 15. And we see it in verses seven to 12 and then in verse 17. All right, he said to him, so this, the word of the Lord, the Lord said to him, I am the Lord. This is how we know this is the Lord. He, he's, the word of the Lord is the Lord, right? I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And Abram said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. What is that? That's cow. And a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. Is it easy to cut a cow in two, Mike? Easy to cut a cow into? No. This is, this is a mess. But not just a cow, a goat and a ram. And then he cut them in two, laid them each opposite the other, but not the birds. Can, you can picture this, right? He's made a, an aisle to walk down. Made of dead animals that have been cut in half, laid, laid opposite. This is why when people, even men, make covenants, the, the Hebrew word for making a covenant is to cut a covenant. That's what's going on here. Something's getting cut, right? And it's these animals. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. He's in a trance. He is, he is out of it. He's not, he's not active here at all, right? He's on the ground, a deep sleep. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between the pieces. So, what's going on here? This is what it means to cut a covenant. This is what it means, this is, so, this was not um, unknown. This is what men did too. And so what would often happen is you'd have a king who came in and conquered a place. The greater king would come and conquer a place and they would make an agreement, you're gonna serve me. But who would normally walk through the, the pieces? The lesser. What is, what is he saying by walking between the pieces? This lesser king. He's saying, if I, if I break this covenant, let me be like these animals, right? Cut me in half. This is a bond in blood. If I, don't, if I break the, the terms of this covenant, let me be like these animals. This is a, it's called a self-maledictory oath. Not a, not a benediction, but a malediction, a bad word. Right? But where's Abram? 
He's out cold. He's out cold. He's having, I mean, he can see something here, obviously, but he's out cold. It's not Abram who's walking through the pieces. So who's walking through the pieces? Who's walking through the pieces? Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) That's right. You got to get that. It's not just God. I mean, Jesus is God, but it's Jesus. It's, It's the Son of God walking through the pieces. And you see how it says, the sun uh, had set, it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch just passed between the pieces. And I always have thought about this as just kind of this weird disembodied floating stuff. No, I don't think so. He's carrying it. He's carrying these things. And you can see them moving through. Why? Well, because he's the one carrying them. He himself is carrying them. Why a smoking oven and a flaming torch? Does that remind you of anything? I was just going to say, if it's very dark, that's all you're going to say. Exactly, exactly. If, if it's very dark, as it says it was, you know, and someone's, and, and someone's carrying these things, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see these things, right? But I, I think we should understand that he's the one carrying them. Why a smoking oven and a flaming torch? What's that got to do with anything? Yep. The pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke. These are, Im- these are images of God's presence. These aren't just random, you know, arbitrary things. These are images of God's presence. And yet God himself, the Lord Jesus, is carrying them through. These aren't disembodied apparitions. Now, Soak this in for a second. If, number one, it's not Abram who's walking through. It's the Lord who's walking through. And the Lord, by walking through, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, says, let me be killed. Let me be killed. The terms of the covenant are sealed in blood. Whose blood? His. That's right. As we'll see this in the new covenant, Jesus suffers this penalty. If I break the covenant, let me be torn in two. Well, did Jesus break the covenant? No. But was he torn in two? Was he was he was his blood shed? Yeah. He takes on himself the penalty of those who break the covenant literally takes it upon himself. And this doesn't just come out of the blue somehow fuzzy in the New Testament. This comes all the way back to this. Do you see that? This is amazing. He becomes a curse for his people on the cross. We'll see more of that later. All right, you all with me? Now fourth, don't miss the faith of Abram, Abraham, Abram, whatever. We, we think of Abraham, so I'm gonna say Abraham. Remember this? We kind of passed over it before. He took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then 
He believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So think about this. How was Abraham righteous in God's sight? This is the language of justification, right? We see this unfold more and more all through the Bible. This is the language of justification. He reckoned it to him as righteousness. He counted righteousness to his account. He declared him righteous. How was Abraham, Abram, declared righteous? By faith. In exactly the same way you and I can be righteous in God's sight. Or actually, that's kind of turned around. Abraham is not declared righteous in the same way that we are. Actually, we are declared righteous in the same way that he was. He's the first. He's the pattern. He's the paradigm. He's the model. He was not justified like us. We are justified like him. Does that make sense? He's the first. Not, not really the first. But this is where you see it. Abraham is the father of all who believe and who in believing are declared righteous in God's sight. Abraham is the father of every believer. You see this in Galatians 3. This is the argument. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see that? That's a direct quote from from Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. And so then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Think about what these verses actually say. All right. Who are sons of Abraham? Anyone who believes. Right? Not just Bob. Not just Daniel. Anyone who believes. And look at this. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Isn't that a weird way to say this? Who, who said this? All the nations will be blessed in you. Who said that? Well, God, the Son of God, the Lord, the Word of the Lord. Scripture preached the gospel before him, saying, all the nations will be blessed. This is, this is, scripture said, God said, same difference. And so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And then in verse 29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. What promise? All those promises that we saw in chapter 12 and chapter 15, that's the promise. Now think about this. Do you remember the stars of the heavens that the Lord pointed to in the night sky, right? 
He takes Abraham, Abram's like, how is this gonna happen? He says, come here, Psst, come on. Let's step outside the tent. And he shows him the stars, and you can't even fathom how many stars he saw unless, you, unless you've been in the Mojave Desert at night. You know what I'm saying? How many stars did he see? A million? No. Well, what was he looking at? What was the point? He wasn't just showing him genetic, the number of you know, genetic bloodline descendants. He was talking about you. You. All right? Not just genetic bloodline DNA Jews, but us. Right? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. What promise? All those promises in this covenant. And so here's the thing. There is no other way to be a child of God than to be a child of Abraham. There is no other way to be a child of God than to be a child of Abraham. There is no other way to be a child of God than to be included in this covenant with Abraham. This isn't, uh, this covenant with Abraham is not just a type or a shadow of what we have in Christ. It is actually the covenant that we partake in. That's what Galatians says. It is the same thing. Abraham had what we have. We, or you could flip it around. We have what Abraham had. And we're heirs with him. We are saved because the Lord Jesus kept his promise to Abraham. All right? These aren't just random, interesting little things. We are saved. The only way we're saved is to be heirs according to God's promise to Abraham. And so if you believe these promises, you are a son of Abraham. You are one of the stars that he saw. Okay? There is amazing continuity. The new covenant is not just some random new thing. It is the fulfillment of all of these promises. Now there's one more passage that unfolds the Abrahamic covenant, this is Genesis 17. And this passage deals with the covenant sign of circumcision, right? Yeah, there's no way we can talk about that today. So I'm gonna ask the guy who's teaching next quarter if he can, he said yes. So we're added another week. There's just no way. There's no way to talk about circumcision in passing, okay? So we'll get to Genesis 17 next week. Does anyone have any thoughts or comments before we pray? Yes. Do you think Abraham had any sense of the Trinity? Uh, so Joni asked, does, did Abraham any, have any sense of the Trinity? Yes and no. I think he, he had a, the sense of a how would I say this? A binity? <laughs> a by, a two? And you, you do see this all through the Old Testament. There, it's obvious that 
that is all through the Old Testament that there are two Yahwehs, two lords, but it's one God. So yeah, you do have images of that. No, it's Jesus and the Father, yeah. And of course, the, the, the Old Testament is filled with the Spirit as well. So you could say yes, I think more than we tend to imagine. Yes, Ben? Um, I don't know. Because I think once, you, once that lens clicks down, like in the, in the, uh, you know, in the eye doctor chair, once that lens clicked down, it's everywhere. He is everywhere. It's just a matter of clicking it down and seeing it. David says in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from Right. So oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit's all over the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's much more of this son of God, angel of the Lord, than, than we want to imagine. Yes, we've got to be done. Yeah. I don't know. It would take a while to cut all these animals in half and do, and then, yeah, yeah, and and Abraham has to uh, chase the chase the birds off. That that actually is significant, but we can't talk about why. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Encourage our faith, we pray. Help us to see everything you want us to see and intend for us to see in your word and to be strengthened by it and encouraged. And help us, Lord, to cling to these promises by faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.